When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Friday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We're doing our second annual coach draft. So it's Mary Kay Cabot, Dougley Maurice, Ashley Bastock and I drafting coaches, trying to figure out where Kevin Stefanski, Mike Tomlin, John Harbaugh, Zach Taylor, where they all fit in the ranks of coaches. So that's coming up here on our Friday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. It's a long one to get you through your Super Bowl weekend. As I know, you got to watch the Bengals play in the Super Bowl at the very end of it, which, by the way, if you've missed any of our Earning Their Stripes series, head to cleveland.com slash browns and read the stories. Get caught up on the podcast we did on Wednesday and Thursday as well about those. And look, might as well become a Football Insider subscriber while you're at it to get that daily newsletter, get access to those exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash browns, and become one of our text subscribers. Again, cleveland.com slash browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. Get info, get signed up. And here we go on our Friday podcast. And it is our second annual coach draft here on the Morning Brown Talk podcast. Scott is not with us, so it's only going to be four of us drafting coaches here today. But let's do our draft lottery before we get started. I'm hitting submit as we speak. And the first pick, oh, it's me again. Oh, look at that. I went first last year. Uh, second pick is Ashley. Third pick is Mary Kay. And the fourth pick is Doug. So that's going to be our draft order uh, as we move through this draft. So I'll just get us started. Uh, the number one pick in last year's draft was none other than Bill Belichick. I made that pick. I'm trying to, to mix this up. I'm trying to think if there's a way that I can go with somebody else here. But even with the last two seasons, I just, I still think it's Bill Belichick. I still think he's number one on this list. I can't go a different direction here. Am I wrong? Is anyone else, like if if anyone else would have had the number one pick, would you have gone a different direction than Bill Belichick? Can I ask a football question? Yes. Who was the best player on the Patriots? Probably somebody on defense. So anyway... (laughs) <laughs> it made the playoffs. I'd I'd pick Belichick. And that and that game against Buffalo, that that game in the cold, when they just like ran the ball down Buffalo's throat. And obviously, I know Buffalo ended up getting the best of them in the long run. But that's because Buff- Buffalo is just a better football team. Usually, talent wins out in the end. That game was like that. Uh, another one of those moments where you're like, oh man, Bill is really good at this. <laughs> Even without Tom Brady, he is really good at this. Ashley or Mary Kay, did you both have Bill number one? I did. I'm really hoping we get another Mary Kay Belichick story in this podcast (laughs) as we talk about this. But yeah, I mean, he's the greatest coach of all time, you know, that's active right now. So I I wasn't going to go anywhere else with this one if I had the number one pick. You know what? I knocked Bill Belichick out of the number one spot. I, I just thought it was time for some... From, for some new blood. I'm trying to think, do I have another Bill Belichick story? Um, <laughs> I, I do have some, plenty of Bill Belichick stories. Um, let me just tell, I'll tell a quick one. I think I remember uh, once when 
uh, Art Modell, when I was standing outside watching practice, he told me that Michael Jackson wasn't the receiver. Speaking of, we were talking about receivers, great Browns receivers before this podcast. And the great Michael Jackson wasn't going to be able to play, I think, against the Jets that Sunday because he was injured. So I, you know, I wrote that. I didn't really, I don't think I like necessarily attributed it, but just speculated or wrote that he wasn't going to play. And Bill Belichick called me and read me the riot act. And I think it was about seven o'clock that morning. It was, it was probably seven o'clock in the morning and it, it took a long time uh, to get off the phone. And I, yeah, I, I was, I was in the doghouse and it was one of several times where I got that kind of phone call from him. All right, there we have it. <laughs> I, I'm not going to ask you who you had number one yet. You're, you're third here. And, and so we'll let this kind of play out a little bit to see who you had at the okay. top of your board. That, that's interesting. Uh, the, mm -hmm. the, I kind of wish you would have had the number one pick here, but instead I had it. I took Bill. Ashley, you're up number two. This is actually a little bit harder than I thought because there's a couple of guys that I would be willing to take here, but I think just given the talent and the playoff success, I'm going to go with Andy Reid. I mean, 17 playoff appearances here. Uh, obviously, the Chiefs lose, when you think about it, two fluky games to the Bengals on last-second kicks between the regular season – or was it the regular season finale or week 17? Uh, week 17. 17, right? And the AFC Championship game. But, I mean – he is the arguably the best quarterback in the league right now in Patrick Mahomes. So uh, I'm going to go here and bump him up for, to number two. And looking at last year's, he was taken number three. So small it's bump for Andy Reid. It's having the best quarterback in the league a plus for being a good coach? Yeah, in my mind. Okay. <laughs> he knows how to use him. He's not wasting him. And 17 playoff appearances. Come on. There's a lot of longevity there too. Yeah, I mean, he did it. He did it in Philly. Everyone in Philly, did, like Philly fans, still love Andy Reid. He did it with Alex Smith. Yeah, I mean those were good teams with Alex Smith. I was in Philly when Andy Reid was losing NFC Championship <laughs> games every year. They didn't love him then, so maybe they love him Inside now. Inside is 2020. They yeah. all put on the rose-colored glasses. Anyone that can make the. Uh the offensive line twirl around the way that he did in a playoff game, you know, you got, you got to vote him pretty darn high. That, that was beautiful to go back to what the Rose bowl and find that from 1940 something or whatever. Yeah. 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 It was like the Michigan and I forget what else crazy, crazy coaching there, but Doug, is it a knock in your mind? If these guys have good players, you're going to rate them lower. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You got Matt LaFleur third? No. Like it's, I mean, like I'm trying to separate. A lot of people would win with Patrick Mahomes. And if we're going to like, if we're tired of Bill Belichick, then I'm going to be tired of Andy Reid. My God. Like You're I'm so not there. Oh, no, no. Yeah, yeah. No, I am. But there's just, <laughs> so when we get to this area, I, I'm curious where people think, how many teams in this league win because of their head coach? Like we win because of this guy. He might, he's number maybe one on the list of why this team wins games. And if you change the coach, you would really change the so, success of the team. I don't think Andy Reid is in that category. And maybe I'm knocking him too much for having Patrick Mahomes, but I have Andy Reid seventh on my list. And I think cool. I draw my line 
at guy at coaches who their team win because of them at either five or six. And I have Reed seven. So I think there is an interesting Andy Reed discussion here about the fact that they've hosted all these AFC championship games. They've been to two Super Bowls now. Should have been to a third this year, right? I mean, you've got that lead at halftime. You need to win that game at home. And they didn't. There is a discussion here about is how many coaches would have over this four-year run won more than one Super Bowl. Now, maybe, maybe if Frank Clark doesn't line up, not Frank Clark, with uh, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the guy's name. But if that Frank, defensive lineman D Ford, doesn't line up D offside, Ford. yeah, D Ford. If D Ford doesn't line up offsides, they have another Super Bowl. But you know, there there is that discussion with Andy Reid. And I think there was probably that discussion in Philadelphia too, right, Doug? Like, good coach. Yeah. But can he get over that hump? Donovan McNabb wasn't Patrick Mahomes, but both situations that he's been, he's an all, he's a Hall of Fame coach, no doubt about it. But like right now, he's had good quarterbacks. He has. It's not, not like blaming him for that. But if you put, I think you could, if you put Frank Reich in charge of the Chiefs the last couple of years, would they be any worse? Would they be any Lexus? You know, Frank Reich's trying to win games with Carson Wentz. So I'm just saying it's a hard thing to try to grapple with because coach and quarterback are the two most important parts of a franchise. But I just, I just have some guys that I think, and I know that last year on this pod, I think we talked about a lot. I think his irresponsibility in hiring his son who then went out and committed a terrible act and, and hurt people in society. And I put some of that on Andy Reid too. So I said the same stuff last year, actually, just you weren't here. I'm just not an Andy Reid top five. You bullied Ellis last time instead of me. (laughs) Make a poster bet with me that I'm going to lose. So that's just find something to hold me accountable for. Let me put on my thinking cap. In terms of recency bias, and I think Doug probably has a, I covered him back in Philadelphia bias with Andy Mm -hmm. Reid. In terms of recency bias, um, I also think that you could, because I had him sixth. I think you could look at uh, the fact that a defense came up with something that confused Patrick Mahomes and they did not adjust well to it in the whole entire second half of a football game. I mean, you've got to come up with something. There's no way with that kind of talent with Tyreek and Travis and Patrick that you can let an offense look that bad for one entire half of football in the biggest game of the season. So, uh, so that in my mind, uh, he dropped to number six because of that in part. Okay. So Mary Kay and Doug each had Andy Reed uh, much lower than Ashley did and lower than I did too. Uh, so Mary Kay, I guess this means your number one is still on the board. So my number I, one. I, I really is, want to know who this is. Yeah. yeah, My number one is on the board and I'm, I know I'm going to get pushback for this and, and that's okay. I, I get it. Um, but I am going to go with one Sean McVay. I'm going with Sean McVay uh, because, look, Matt Stafford has had a lot of coaches in his career, many, 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 many coaches in his career, okay? And he's had good receivers throughout some of those years, like really good receivers. And nobody has been able to bring out the best in Matt Stafford the way that Sean McVay has. Um, And then they lost some key guys down the stretch, Robert Wood, 
uh, key player. And they also brought in Odell Beckham Jr. Well, we saw what Odell Beckham Jr. wasn't able to do uh, for two plus years in Cleveland. And voila, all of a sudden, Sean McVay found a way to incorporate Odell Beckham Jr. into the offense to the point where uh, he had six touchdown catches. That's as many as he caught from Baker Mayfield in two plus seasons. Uh, and I, from what I hear from guys like uh, John Johnson, the three, when he talks about unity on the team, uh, that means something to me. There is some kind of uh, culture thing going on that it seems like Sean McVay is really, really good at that. And um, I, I just think that to put a whole new outfit together for the most part this season and get them into the Super Bowl, I think it's pretty remarkable. Now, he does have talent. I, I will give him that. He has talent, but he had to do something with this talent. He had to get the most out of some of these guys. I think he did. And I actually think they're probably going to win the Super Bowl. I, I was wondering where Sean McVay was going to go. Um, and, and I was hoping it was going to be high because I've kind of spent the last 24 hours trying to figure out exactly where I would put him uh, for a lot of those reasons. Doug, you were going to say something. though. I have him second. This is the right pick. His imprint is all over that franchise. Mm -hmm. top to bottom he's like belichick in that way and talking about if you take the coach away does the franchise change holy moly mm -hmm. the whole franchise changes because their whole ethos the the way they play the fact that he got rid of a super bowl quarterback and brought in another guy because he thought they needed a better quarterback and they're back in the super bowl the idea cooper cup it's a third round pick he's the best receiver in the nfl sean McVay helped make that happen that he has used odell beckham that they lost John Johnson third and Troy Hill. They're fine. They're good. You know, like they, but it's, he's that friend. He is that franchise and they may pay the Piper at some point with how much they've gone all in. Everybody's written about it. We all know about this. They trade draft picks to get good players. Uh, coach doesn't worry about that. Well, GM can worry about that stuff. This guy's trying to win every game right now. And if you gave Patrick Mahomes to Sean McVay, I'm not sure Sean McVay would ever lose a game again. And it's, but you know what I mean? Like that's, he's do Matt Stafford's good. He's not Patrick Mahomes, but he creates an environment in an offensive league. He creates an environment for offensive players to be successful. What you said, Mary Kay about just like running the whole franchise. He's like, and we know he learned a lot of lessons from losing to Bill Belichick in the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. Like he's, I think he's, he's Belichick junior on the opposite side of the ball. And the <clears> fact that like, this guy is going to be in the league for 50 years and his fingerprints are going to be all over every aspect of his franchise every single year. And I think this guy is going to win multiple, multiple Super Bowls. Mm -hmm. I, I was listening to um, a, a podcast yesterday and the point was made. Think of all the people McVay has lost on his coaching staff over his time, too. And like that brain drain can really hurt you. When you lose guys, just, I mean, we're, we're going to name guys in this draft who are from that Sean McVay coaching tree who have been really successful elsewhere. And when you lose guys like that, it can hurt and you've got to replace them. And he just kind of keeps doing it. He keeps finding guys to come in and, and be the next guy now, be the next hot assistant. You know, I mean, it was a joke for a while that if you even had a phone call to Sean McVay, you were going to get a head coaching job somewhere, but I think that matters too. And the way the Rams have built it, Mary Kay, you mentioned all that talent. That's not easy to do. I mean, these are big personalities. Jalen Ramsey, 
Von Miller, Odell Beckham. These are huge, huge personalities in a gigantic market. And he's got him in the Super Bowl. And, and they're the favorite to win the Super Bowl. Well, remember when uh, John Johnson three talked to us and he was like, oh man, I, I don't know. I don't know if Odell Beckham Jr. should go to the Rams because Cooper Cup is the man there. And I don't know how they're going to work together. And you know, you're right, Dan. It does take uh, some kind of special strategy and technique and talent to be able to bring a lot of big name guys together. We've seen it happen on other football teams where they put together a dream team and it completely flops. You've got to, there's an art to being able to do it. And somehow uh, he put Odell Beckham Jr. and Cooper Cup together in a way that Cup embraced Odell and vice versa. And it worked. And I think that Sean McVay is an innovator offensively. Right now, we know that uh, the, the offense that Sean and Kyle and Kevin and those guys run, they're, they're, having, they're having to adjust to what defenses are doing and what they're taking away and how they are defending uh, the, you know, the play action bootlegs and those kinds of things. And he, uh, he has adjusted to that and he has tailored his offense to the talent that he has. And, uh, you know, sometimes it doesn't look anything like what we saw before that he was doing with Jared Goff. So I think he's just a brilliant, brilliant offensive mind. I think he is a, a great leader of men. And I do. I think he's the up and coming uh, sort of Bill Belichick in the NFL. McVay went sixth last year, uh, just, just for reference here. So now he's up to number three in our draft. And, and Mary Kay, you had him on the top of your list. So Doug, you are up now to round out the first round. I took John Harbaugh two last year. I'll take him four here. Uh, devastating injuries. They lost their whole backfield. They lose Lamar Jackson. They put in Tyler Huntley. They look okay. They missed the playoffs, but that's not like a young coach missing the playoffs. This guy has been around. They changed defensive coordinators. Didn't wait around. He, they had a young guy that they really liked, a Mike McDonald, who went and was Michigan's defensive coordinator for his brother this year. And I think he wanted him back. So they got rid of Wink Martindale. They brought him back. He didn't wait around. I just, I just think he's good for the same reason. I had him third on my list behind Belichick and McVay. And yeah, they, they missed the playoffs, but I think John Harbaugh still is who he is. So I feel very comfortable with him being a top four coach here. You know what, Doug? I had him at number two right here. I can prove <laughs> it. There's my little list. You guys can't see it, but I had him number two for all of those reasons uh, that you just mentioned. He had one hell of a year. And until... Lamar in terms of injuries until Lamar Jackson went down with that ankle injury courtesy of an accidental little run-in with JOK uh, until that happened they were right in the thick of it and had an opportunity to win the AFC North despite losing so many pro bowlers so many of their guys I don't know how they were doing it I mean they they had six come from behind victories Six come from behind victories. You don't do that without good coaching. Um, so uh, I, I think the world of John Harbaugh, he is still right up there uh, in my book for all the things that I've watched him do all of these years. He was the other guy I was debating taking at number two. So now I'm really mad I didn't because it would have made Doug mad. Um, I think basically what Mary Case, I had him so high because of the injuries and the way he tried to manage that. And I think obviously them not making the playoffs wasn't really his fault, but Doug brought up an interesting point with them kind of parting ways with Wink Martindale and 
bringing Mike McDonald back. Um, like, I, I think it's so interesting how he kind of let him go and be the defensive coordinator at Michigan. And what he did so well at Michigan was kind of revamping their defense so that they weren't blitzing as much. And it's kind of arguable that the Ravens need kind of a, a similar overhaul, obviously, at the NFL level. Uh, but to, to disguise those blitzes better, mm-hmm. to provide different looks. So I think just a really good hire in the way he trusts Lamar Jackson out there. I mean, obviously that, that clip went viral uh, earlier this season about him, him yelling at him from the sideline, like, do you want to go for it? Lamar says, yes, they do go for it. Um, so overall, just, I think, definitely a top five coach in my mind. And I just love the way he talks to the people. It's hilarious. He's just, he's fantastic. His personality is great. I've, I've told the story on here about the conference calls we used to do where he would just pick up the phone and say, hey, this is John Harbaugh. But then I saw a clip from when the Ravens first hired him and he walks out of the facility and the media is kind of staking him out. And he goes up and just introduces him. Hey, I'm John Harbaugh. As if no one knew, knew who he was. He just goes around and like shakes everybody's hand. Oh, John Harbaugh. <laughs> just <laughs> love the guy. Great personality. Yeah. Better personality than his brother. I won't make anybody else comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> Not a high <laughs> bar to clear there yeah. for John Harbaugh. Yeah, the bar is on the floor. <laughs> All right. So here we go. Starting the second round. And we are going to pick 20 coaches here, just so everyone out there listening knows. I really have a lot of ways I can go here. And I have a lot of options that I really like. I'm going to do this one. Uh, I'm going to see where this guy went last year. Uh, He actually went kind of low. He went in the third round. He went 13th overall. I'm going to take Kyle here. I'm going to go with Kyle Shanahan. And I don't know if anyone's going to argue that this is way too high. And I'm passing on the person I'm passing on here, I think is going to get scooped up pretty quickly uh, as well. I think the job Kyle Shanahan has done, just consistency, and obviously they've had health issues and he's had some down years, but I just think he's a guy that gives you a chance to win. And Doug, again, it's like, how does your team look without Kyle Shanahan if somebody else is coaching that team? And I think the 49ers aren't as good if, if he's not their coach. His record's not amazing. He's had some slip-ups, but... I think Kyle Shanahan is still really high on my list as, as really good coaches um, in this league. Too high? I think, too, like to kind of build off your point, Dan, like we've, we've talked about how the 49ers have handled like the Jimmy Garoppolo, Trey Lance, like situation and everything. And the way he was able to manage that and like Jimmy Garoppolo was still going out there and, you know, playing and you know, trying, I guess, like the effort was still there. I mean, that, that is impressive. These are guys with big egos and, and to keep all that in check and, and make it to a conference championship. I mean, that's impressive. Yeah. I, I had Kyle Shanahan at seven. I, I, I've always really, really liked Kyle, even when, you know, when he was here as the offensive coordinator, I thought he did uh, some amazing things. I also think that uh, he adapts to the personnel that he has. He's uh, almost always successful. I think to make it as far as they did with a quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo that we now sort of see has some limitations. I mean, he is not uh, the elite of the elite in terms of quarterback. And, uh, you know, and, and he managed to, you know, get them as far as they did. I thought that was pretty remarkable. So this isn't very much higher than I had him. Uh, I had a couple of guys that I would have put ahead of him here, but I think this is a fine spot for him. Started 
uh, three and five this year, finished seven and two. If you had done this, we had done this draft in the middle of the season. There's no way he would have gone this high because people thought the Niners were a mess. I do think to some degree, it's like the Lance Garoppolo thing was sort of a thing of their own making because they traded up to take a quarterback at three and then they didn't play him, but they got as far as they did. They did end up managing it pretty well. And the creativity with Debo Samuel, I don't know that there's anybody else in the league who would have turn Debo Samuel into the kind of offensive weapon he's there's nobody like him in the league he's two things at once and I think Kyle Shanahan deserves a lot of credit for that losing record for his career because he got he had you know two rough years when he got to San Francisco but he's been to a Super Bowl and I do think in the end they they overachieved to get as far as they did in the playoffs and by the way they were three and oh this season against the two teams that are in the Super Bowl so they could have tanked when they started three and five I, I think you there could have been a world where they just say, that's it for Jimmy. We're going to play Lance, take our lumps, get ready for next year. And they did. And they hung in and were kind of right there in a lot of ways. So I had him eighth. There's a guy or two. There's two guys I would definitely still take ahead of him. But I think this is in the right range. I always like to think about this stuff because sometimes we do get caught up in recency bias and, and results. Where is Shanahan on this list if Joukowsky Tart intercepts that pass and doesn't drop it? And it's the 49ers playing in the Super Bowl this weekend. We'd probably have him higher. <laughs> because Would he be higher than McVay? No, not for me. Not for me. Maybe, might have had him fourth. but uh, or th- I mean, maybe we would have gone... I would have him higher than here, than fifth. Yeah, I mean, I, I still think John Harbaugh is better than him. Nobody the guy, whether they would have made the Super Bowl or not. So I, I, that fifth is pretty good for him. I, it I, is. I don't think Kyle Shanahan's mad about being fifth on this list. Yeah. Yeah, this is a good spot. I mean, once again, uh, to not have your superstar quarterback and make it that far, you know, I, I, think, I think there's a lot to be said for that. All right, Ashley, pick number six. Well, I think, Dan, from everything I know about you, this is the guy that you were <laughs> debating taking. I'm going to take Mike Tomlin. I mean, he he held the Steelers together with bubble gum and, and tape this year. Number one, he's never had a losing season. Players love playing him. Um, obviously, all these things we talk about all the time with him. And obviously, you know, they're entering a new era without Ben Roethlisberger. But I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what he does with that. Yeah, Mike Tomlin was the other guy I was thinking about. Knew it. I mean, the, the job he did this year to have that team with, with that quarterback almost in the playoffs, actually in the playoffs, I should say, ahead of the Kansas City Chiefs for a few minutes in the playoffs. It was incredible. I mean, Mike Tomlin is a fantastic coach. I know that sometimes Steelers fans, there's a segment of them that he drives crazy. I know sometimes he makes weird in-game decisions. Guess what? So does Sean McVay. Mike Tomlin's a great coach and and he's just a perfect fit in Pittsburgh. And I I do want to see now what he does with a new quarterback. Like you said, Ashley, this is a new era for him. And I want to see kind of what it looks like now without big Ben. Yeah. I think this is a good spot for him. I think it's a really good spot for him. He did an amazing job with, uh, you know, a quarterback on his last leg and all of the issues that they had. Uh, this season, but I also think he did benefit from uh, the Browns just going into the tank this year. And he also benefited 
from the Baltimore Ravens losing their final six games when Lamar Jackson, uh, you know, went out with, with the ankle injury. Uh, I, I think that if the, if the Ravens had been able to keep Lamar Jackson healthy, I, I don't think that the, uh, the Steelers would have been in the playoffs. Having said that, I still think it was a tremendous, tremendous effort on the part of Mike Tomlin. His players love playing for him. Uh, I like the way he holds a team together. I like the culture that he's built. Uh, I, I like almost everything that he says. Um, and so, yeah, I think this is a really good spot for Mike Tomlin. The reason that we do this is try to, pl- to place Brown's people in the hierarchy of the NFL. So we're not saying who would you hire for the Browns? That's not the question. But if you put Mike Tomlin in charge of the Browns this year in handling the OBJ situation, in having the offense and the defense mesh together, in handling Baker and the injury, in handling the moments when Miles Garrett maybe questioned the defensive ideas, I just think Mike Tomlin does perhaps a significantly better job with that. Not that he hasn't had rough years in Pittsburgh. And some function of that is experience. And if when Kevin Stefanski has been a head coach for 10 years, then maybe he would have handled it differently. But that's part of what we're factoring in here, right? He's been doing it for a long time and he was once a young coach. But I do, I do think he navigates things pretty darn well. And again, he was, he was fourth on my list. He's definitely on the list of the franchise wins and is successful in large part because of that guy. And if you pull him out and drop in, hot young new coach X, I think the Steelers aren't quite the Steelers, at least for a while. So he, he meets that threshold for me. And, and I think too, to your point, Mary Kay, the thing about like, you know, Mike Tomlin's down year, like, yes, he took advantage of the Browns kind of not living up to their potential and, you know, the Ravens being injured, but Mike Tomlin has dealt with that stuff too. And the Steelers are still like, however, always this, I think of that 2019 team. They go eight and eight and they had no business being eight and eight. That was the year that Ben got hurt early and they were starting duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph. And I mean, he still manages to get that team to eight and eight. They were eight and five at one point in that season, you know, even this year, I bet if you had asked him in an honest moment, if he really wanted this version of Ben Roethlisberger to be his quarterback, he might've thought at least thought about it a little bit but he managed to get this team in a position to make the playoffs. And I, I just think every year, Mike Tomlin is, is unbelievable. I picked him in the first round last year. Okay. I took him at number five last year for all of these reasons that, that you are saying, because once again, he's never had a losing season. I mean, that, that is remarkable. And he has longevity. Nobody has longevity in the NFL anymore, hardly. Uh, and just to be able to win consistently and, and to have the culture that he has built over there, um, I, I think he's been tremendous. So uh, I think this is a perfect spot for him right here. And like I said, I thought he was a first rounder last year and I am uh, very uh, amazed at the job he was able to do with what he had to work with this year. And, and yet drafted behind Kevin Stefanski a year ago in this very draft. Maybe this is why Scott didn't didn't want to come on this podcast. You don't think this was on the bulletin board in Pittsburgh? Oh, oh, oh you like Kevin Stefanski, do you? Let's see how that goes. It was right next to all of Dan's quotes <laughs> and jokes about Big Ben's age. They just 
they just had the Orange and Brown Talk podcast playing in the locker room all season long <laughs> in Pittsburgh. Some poor um, scouting intern or something was having to transcribe these podcasts on the side and just get those ready to put on those quotes ready for the locker room bulletin board every every week. You know what? That gives me a good idea. I don't know what you guys think, but a great idea for a podcast for the Orange and Brown is to take one or two of our absolute worst takes from the previous year and own them and just have a little bit of fun. I love it. Right. I will be on vacation during that. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Oh my goodness. All right, Mary Kay, you're up at number seven. Okay. I've got a recency bias pick coming here and it was between two guys. And as we have been sitting here talking, uh, I decided to go with this one because he has his team playing in the Super Bowl on Sunday. And that is one Zach Taylor. Now, Zach Taylor, old Zach, didn't even make our list of 20 last year. In fact, there are two people, and I will not say who, on the orange and brown. I'll team. say it. I'll claim it. <laughs> who almost had him fired last year. Doug, and then the other guy's not here anymore, so we can throw him out of the bus firmly, and that's Ellis. So they thought he was going to get fired. Instead, he leads the Cincinnati Bengals to the Super Bowl. Now, I have to say, I already mentioned that uh, the Bengals and the Steelers got a little help from the Ravens and the Browns this year because we all thought the Ravens and the Browns were going to be vying for the AFC North, and that didn't happen. That gave rise to uh, these two teams to make the playoffs. But but once those Zach Taylor-led Bengals got into the playoffs, they did some pretty darn cool things to get to the Super Bowl, including crossing up one Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid in the playoffs. And I'm telling you right now, there is something to be said for coaching a second-year quarterback to the play to the Super Bowl. I mean, that's really darn remarkable. Um, so I actually had him higher than this. I had him higher. Than, yeah, I did. I had him higher than this. But and wait, no, wait, 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 wait. There, there is more. They had no offensive line. Okay, it's hard to get to the point where they're at right now when you're quarterback has been sacked 51 times okay and you might say well he shouldn't have let his quarterback get sacked 51 times but some things are unavoidable and then also I thought he got a lot out of a defense that you know wasn't really supposed to be this good now it did help to sign Trey Hendrickson that helped a lot but look they got a lot more out of Larry Ogunjobi than the Browns did I mean Larry was a force for them this year uh, be, before he got hurt. But I just thought that their run through the playoffs, uh, you know, has just been so good. And they had rocky times this season. They lost 41 to 16 to the Browns, which I think was a turning point. Joe Burrow did not agree with me when I asked him that question on the pod, on, on his <laughs> Zoom conference the other day. I, I felt like I was really onto something there, but he did not agree with me. Um, but he's so cool, you know, he can say anything. But, anyways, so again, to take a quarterback to the Super Bowl in his second season. And I, I hear so much about the culture on this football team. And as I go along and I learn more and more about really what it takes to get to go all the way, 
You have to have that. That's why I like Sean McVay so much. I'm seeing some of the same qualities in Zach Taylor. I see those things in Mike Tomlin, keeping a John Harbaugh, keeping a football team together. And that's what the Browns did not have this year. They were fractured. Okay. So I loved what Zach Taylor did with the culture of the Bengals. He had those guys believing and still does have those guys believing that why not us? And we've got this and we can do this. And I, I think I saw really good coaching from him this year. So I, I don't really, I don't really mind the fact that some of you guys are going to trash this pick. Go for it, Doug. I, I hear it coming. <laughs> yeah. I'll let Doug go before I agree with some of what you said. <laughs> Isn't Joe Burrow, the coach of the Bengals? Like what? I, 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 you kept saying Zach Taylor led, led, led the Bengals to the Super Bowl. I feel like Zach Taylor, like everybody else just got on Joe Burrow's back and was, they were carried to the Super Bowl. The, well, the one thing is that's hard about this. You don't want to take anything away from the Bengals. They're a middle of the pack team, honestly, during the season, they, they won some good games. They lost some bad games. All the, all the numbers show you they're like a middle of the pack team. And then they just got hot, got a little lucky, all credit to them. But if I'm like making a long-term hire, this also is a draft that took Kevin Stefanski fourth last year because the Browns won one playoff game. So I guess we can take Zach Taylor here for getting to the Super Bowl, but I feel less like he is a driving force there and more again it's a little bit of the Andy Reid argument it's like man you got a great quarterback you got some great receivers and some stuff went your way I don't think he's a terrible coach I no longer think he should be fired (laughs) but but like and one of the wrinkles Dan I don't know if you you said this off the top but it's like we maybe can take some people who are not currently employed as NFL head coaches but like Sean Payton who recently were or have been if you were the Bengals and tomorrow you could swap out Zach Taylor for Sean Payton, wouldn't you? I would like congratulate on Super Bowl, but I'm going to take that guy. So I just like, I'm not, I am not there with Zach Taylor yet. And I feel like there are some comparisons to McVay, but McVay has now run it back and done it again. And is in the Super Bowl for a second time. I feel like the Bengals not taking anything away from them as a whole at all, a little bit caught lightning in a bottle. So I'm not going to that. I don't have Zach Taylor. I didn't even write him down yet because I'm like in the teens and I'm not sure where I'm going to go, but there's some dudes I'd take ahead of him. That's a mistake. Unlike Doug, I did have Zach Taylor in my top 10 too. And it was for a lot of what Mary Kay said. And I just want to build off the point that she made about taking a second year quarterback to the uh, Super Bowl. I will agree with Doug. Like my biggest question is, okay, like the offensive line stuff, the fact that they still made it here again, I was just kind of like how much of that is Joe Burrow versus Zach Taylor. But the flip side of that is if we are saying like, oh, we think the Browns, we just are doing that whole earning their stripe series. Like if we think the Browns are better than the Bengals at a lot of things and the Bengals are better at some key things that involve scoring points and therefore they've made it further. I think a worse coach would have done worse with this team. So I'm willing to put him in the top 10. I, I did not have him this. I struggled with where to, where to put Zach Taylor. I really did because I hate, I hate looking at a guy who's in the Super Bowl and, and saying like, oh, how good are you really? But I'm sort of doing that, I guess, with Zach Taylor. Like I, I want to give him that credit, but I also 
am not 100% sure that long-term he's going to do this over and over and over again. Um, so that's, that's my concern. I, w- I will say the interesting thing about Zach Taylor is he's probably in the one spot that gave him an opportunity to even be in the Super Bowl this year. Because I think most other places probably would have fired him after last year. Hmm. Cincinnati just doesn't operate like that. And their patience has paid off this year. And, and you know, and, and now Zach can go out and prove us all wrong. Like, like how bad is this going to look if somebody doesn't listen to it until Monday and Doug and I are ripping on Zach Taylor while there's pictures no. of him holding up a Super Bowl trophy. I mean, I, but I don't like, not to be like an analytics guy, but of course the whole point is to win a Super Bowl. Results matter or whatever. But like Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl and got fired two years later. Like just because you do something once doesn't mean you're the best at it from a holistic standpoint. So I'm not going to feel bad. Go ahead and listen to this after the Super Bowl. If there's Zach Taylor hoisted the trophy, he's still not in my top 10. Well, I will say, let me just say that when we're talking about uh, a coach who kind of gets, has somebody at quarterback who carries the team and leads the team and all those kinds of things, we don't know the answer to this yet, but there, you know, there's a chance that, uh, you know, maybe Bill Belichick is, you know, is never going to be Bill Belichick again without Tom Brady. I mean, there, there's a, there's a pretty good chance that Tom Brady is the reason is the reason he's got all this hardware all over his, his hands. Now he is an excellent coach. We will give him that and the greatest of all time, but you know, even number one here has, um, has been carried, I think at times by the goat. Did you, so you didn't have Belichick number one. Did you have Zach Taylor ahead of Belichick? Did you have Belichick ahead of Zach oh. Taylor on your list? Oh, I had I had Bill Belichick number four. Okay. Where'd and you I have Zach had, Taylor on your I list? I had Zach Taylor number five. Oh. Congratulations, Bill. Staying one spot ahead of Zach Taylor, who, who, who we thought was going to be fired six months ago. Well, I, you know, I, I, I think that, I mean, let's see Bill Belichick win Super Bowls. Let's see him win some Super Bowls without Tom Brady. Let's see it happen. That's Let's see be. Zach Taylor do anything without Joe Burrow. I know. I mean, like, I don't know. I don't know what your comparison is here. I mean, he, he's, I, I just chose him number seven. I didn't take him number one in our draft. I have him at number seven because he just got a very young team and a second year quarterback who hasn't even played two full seasons to the Super Bowl, And they don't spend any money in Cincinnati. They don't go out and spend a ton of money. He doesn't have the talent on his football team that the Rams that they didn't go out and get um, you know, Von Miller late in the season. I mean, they, they don't have all that. They didn't trade for, you know, this guy and that guy, whatever. Um, but I, I think the fact that he was able to get this team with that crappy offensive line to the Super Bowl is good enough for number seven. I don't have him number one, but I think he's okay at number seven. There, there is a, there's a curve you sort of have to grade on when you talk about Cincinnati. Like it, it is just, I mean, they don't even have an indoor practice facility there. I mean, they, they have their locker rooms in the stadium and have to walk across the street to get to their practice field. So it, it's, it's different in Cincinnati. It's part of why like Marvin Lewis was so good, what he did with that team, even though he never won a playoff game. So I, I think there's that for me with Zach Taylor, it's just, I, I, I want to see this. Okay. Now, how do you come back next year with that target? Right. You're not sneaking up on anybody. You're the guy. And, and you're the team. How are you guys going to look next year? 
I want to clarify something just for a point of fact. They don't actually walk across the street to the practice facility. They all get on Joe Burrow's back and get carried across <laughs> the street to the practice facility. But they um, they figured out how to do something to Patrick Mahomes to get to where they are, and that takes you know that takes some really good coaching. And I, I just think they've done a really really nice job uh, to get to the point where they're at right now. Let's move on then. Who do we have? Uh, who do we have next here? Sorry, I had a different window open. So we are up to Doug at number eight. So this is a guy. I had him fifth on my list, and I he definitely is in my list of take him away from the team, and I think it would change. That it might he might be the last guy in that list. So he's number five for me. He has a forty-one and twenty-four career record in four years. He lost his best player for most of the, much of this season and they didn't miss a beat. And it's Mike Rabel at Tennessee. They were six and three without Derrick Henry. They were, I think six and two with Derrick Henry. They were the number one seed in the AFC and they're doing it with Ryan Tannehill. Who's a solid dude. But again, if you know, I am, I am pushing coaches up who are winning without great quarterbacks. And I am pushing coaches down who are winning with great quarterbacks. And Ryan Tannehill is not a great quarterback. They have a culture there. They have a way of doing things. He's never had a losing record in his four seasons. I think he's there for the long term. Again, talking about a Belichickian kind of guy who establishes a way of doing business. His fingerprints are all, all over that franchise. I feel like like they've leaned into the Derrick Henry thing, but again, they just got running backs off the scrap heap and did the same thing because that's what they have. I think maybe if they had to do something else, they do something else. He's cycled through good assistance, talking about a McVay tree. They had Matt LaFleur there. Matt LaFleur went on. They had Arthur Smith there. Arthur Smith went on. So like Dave, I just think he's a tone setter and he's a winner. And it's, it's yes, Derrick Henry's great, but the idea that they were as good as they were without Derrick Henry this year, I think elevated him in my mind a little bit, which is why to me, he's a top five coach and I will happily take him at eight. I had a variable pretty high. Um, also AJ Brown, had some injury issues. Julio Jones didn't really give them what they were hoping that, that he would give them. They did sort of had to piece, have to piece things together a little bit, and they still had a chance to, to beat Cincinnati um, in, in that playoff game. They were the number one seed. Uh, so, yeah, I, I had variable pretty high on this list. I, I did have him ahead of Zach Taylor, um, but this was uh, – I, I, there's another guy. I, I guess this is probably the guy I'm going to take. Uh, anybody else have any variable thoughts before I, I make my pick here? I have him in my top 10. I, I voted for him uh, in the PFWA as, um, as the coach of the year. I think he did a phenomenal job this year, once again, without Derrick Henry. Uh, I, I, I like what he brings to the table in terms of uh, just the, the leadership, the attitude, the culture that he's building. And again, Ryan Tannehill. I mean, I can't remember where Ryan Tannehill is ranked, but again, he's doing it. And it's probably down in the like 20 or something like that in rating. Uh, but he's doing it, uh, you know, with what he has to work with. And he made something of Ryan Tannehill and proved that you can win and get, you know, and get to the playoffs with, uh, without a great quarterback. Um, we still don't have the answer yet. You know, can you, can you go deep into the playoffs, get to the championship game, get to the Super Bowl? But he's, he's showing that you can win consistently without that guy. They made a championship game. They made the AFC championship game his second year when they upset Lamar and Tom Brady on the way there. So they haven't gotten to the Super Bowl yet, but I think he'll win a Super Bowl before he retires as a head coach. He's got a long way to go. He's a young guy. 
Rabel went 12th last year also to Doug. So I, I can't leave this guy sitting out there. I, I, I've got to take him. And, and I know he took a little bit of heat for how he handled the end of a playoff game. But I'm going to take Sean McDermott uh, to kick off round three. Uh, he, he's really kind of changed the culture there in Buffalo along with Josh Allen. I think what they did after they lost that game to New England, there was some real soul searching there. They were kind of falling apart a little bit. And they, they were kind of getting killed in Tampa Bay the next week, too. They came back and, and made that game interesting. And then they won out the rest of the year, including beating New England twice, once in the regular season, and just blowing the doors off the Patriots in the playoffs. Sean McDermott's a really good coach. Now, Brian Dable is not there anymore. He was a big part of that. Uh, Ken Dorsey is going to be the offensive coordinator now. You, you, we'll see, I guess, how that looks. But I think Sean McDermott deserves a ton of credit for what he's done. Uh, in Buffalo. And I actually think this is, I'm trying to look at our list here to see who I would put him ahead of. I think this is too low. I think getting him at number nine might be too low. And I think there might be a little bit of hangover from kind of what happened in that chiefs game and not doing the squib kick, maybe not playing, maybe not doing what they should have done defensively in those final 13 seconds. But this team was real close to being in the AFC championship game. And then probably likely the Super Bowl. I had him sixth and I draw the line of coaches who, if you take them off their franchise, you'd notice a huge difference. I either draw it right after Vrabel at five or after McDermott at six. So I debate whether he goes in there. I think the Brian Dable point, what they'll do without him matters. But I do think Harbaugh and McDermott are similar in that they got talented quarterbacks who needed to be developed and put in a situation to win with Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen. And they get credit for that as opposed to some guys who just, I think come a little more ready-made and could thrive under a variety of coaches in a variety of ways. And we're sort of sure things. I don't think Josh Allen was a sure thing again, Mary Kay on the list of pause that we'll do. We still have to list that. So Mary Kay can call me out for an hour on Josh Allen, but I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. I think the bills are molded in his image. I do think you have to dig him Dan for what you said, that late game management, a lot of coaches would have handled that better and their team might have won. But I think long-term, this guy has set something up in Buffalo that he gets a lot of credit for. I agree this is too low. Yeah, I agree it's too low. Um, and that is because earlier when I said that I had two guys that I was thinking of at number seven, okay? And as I looked over my list, I bumped up Zach Taylor in the end because I thought being able to solve Patrick Mahomes and get to the Super Bowl with a young, young quarterback and a bad offensive line, and to have those guys believing that they could do it, uh, that that put him over the top for me at that number seven pick. But I had Sean McDermott very, very high on my list. I had him at number three on my list. I think that he's an amazing coach. Again, we will know more about that when as we move forward and see what happens uh, with him without Brian Dayball, because I think Brian has been amazing for Josh Allen. But I don't know that every single team, you know, including the Browns, would have been able to maximize the talents and the abilities of Josh Allen the way that uh, the Bills have. So I admire him for that. They've made it to the playoffs, I think, three state, straight seasons. Uh, I knocked him down. Because you can't lose a game when you when there's 13 seconds left. You just can't do that. So for that reason, I put Zach Taylor ahead of him. Um, but I had him very, very high on my list. 
Yeah, I think that's probably right. But I mean, how many discussions have we had in, in terms of the Josh Allen, what the Browns would have done with him? Like, I do think it took a special group of coaches and a special place to get the most out of him as quickly as they did. And there were what, like 17 losing seasons in Buffalo before he got there. I mean, that's a, that's a culture change. So um, yeah, Dan, I agree. You got kind of got a steal out of this one. <laughs> he went 10th last year. He's up a spot this year, Ashley, you're up at number 10. Uh, all right. Um, I'm going to take Sean Payton here. And obviously, you know, he's stepping away and Doug made the point earlier, like if the Bengals had the choice between Zach Taylor and Sean Payton, you're going to probably take that guy. I mean, he's, he's one of the great, I think, offensive minds in the game still has over 150 career wins, winning postseason record, all that stuff. We've obviously on this podcast talked a lot about Drew Brees' career history and the way those two work together. So, um, yeah, I think if, if Sean Payton magically changed his mind and decided he doesn't actually want to step away from coaching right now, then I, I think he's worthy of this spot. Yeah, our rule was, was basically like if a guy could conceivably coach again, he's eligible for this list. So uh, Sean Payton, I had on my big board as well. I considered him maybe over McDermott. Uh, again, th this is we're sort of on this run here, right? With Zach Taylor in Cincinnati, with McDermott in Buffalo, with Sean Payton in New Orleans. Guys who just came in and just completely changed the narrative on a franchise. I mean, the, the Saints were, you know, as a football team, they were a mess. But then, of course, you had all the post-Katrina stuff. And Sean Payton came in with Drew Brees, and they really had to kind of salvage that franchise and, and that football team. And they did it. And, and also the other thing too, that second life that they had there, you know, they had that Super Bowl era and then it kind of tailed off a little bit and then they rebuilt it again through the draft. And, you know, if a pass interference call goes a different way or a non-call, maybe he has a second Super Bowl. So yeah, Sean Payton, if he ever coaches again, should be about this high on this list for sure. I had him right here. This is, I think he's a top 10 guy for sure. And to me, we're like, pretty much at the end of guys that when you make your pick you're like oh yeah feeling good about that pick and now i'm like i don't know so peyton is a feel-good guy so that he's like at the end he does have a job but he's still a field goal guy i think this is a really good pick ashley and i don't know if this has been reported or not i don't like to dabble in rumors here on the orange about talk podcast but i did hear through the grapevine that one of the reasons sean mcveigh or excuse me sean peyton uh, stepped away is because he went behind Kevin Stefanski in this draft a year ago and he thought that's it I can't what's the point and so I think he was eight last year when Kevin Stefanski after one year and winning one playoff game was fourth Sean Payton one of the great coaches in NFL history was eighth and it that was the last straw <laughs> Really is too bad Scott isn't here to defend himself for that pick. You're, you're really just, you're taking the chance to really wail on Scott. <laughs> that is correct. That's how I operate. <laughs> yeah, you cannot argue with uh, Sean Payton here. He's, he's a top 10 coach in, in anybody's book. And uh, I'm sure he'll be back in the league at some point. Uh, but, you know, stepping away, it's, it's an admir admirable thing to do when you feel like you need that kind of a break. So, um, so, yeah, I think this is a good spot for him. And it gave me an opportunity to wait for it. 
put Kevin Stefanski right behind him at number 11. All right, All right. now, the reason why I have Kevin Stefanski here at number 11, even though you can make a case that some other guys could go ahead of him here, um, at, you know, and then you guys will say who, who you think those guys are. Uh, and you, you know, I, I know some really good, strong arguments can be made, but uh, the reason why I am putting him here, even though uh, they had a down season, is because I think they had a down season for a reason. And I think that's because they had such key injuries on their offense that it was just hard to function uh, the way that they wanted to function. When you, I mean, Jack Conklin, you take your, and a right tackle these days is just as important as your left tackle. Okay. Uh, you know, the, Baker Mayfield's not getting sacked nine times in Pittsburgh if Jack Conklin was playing. Uh, you know, same thing uh, at left tackle. So the two tackles, I thought that was huge this year that, that Jed Wills wasn't able to really be himself. And then, um, you know, we've given him, we have given Kevin Stefanski grief for the Odell Beckham Jr. thing, but that, that was so completely out of his hands. It was such an organizational thing. That week was such that I, I actually think that, um, I don't know that this happened, but I, I think there was enough thought to, we have to support our quarterback and get this guy out of here. Like we can't let this guy undermine our quarterback. I don't think Kevin Stefanski had any, like, I don't think he had a lot to do with the fact that they said, you're gone. You're not coming back in this building. You are out of here. And then he was left basically, you know, to kind of clean up the mess. So I think that was really, really hard because I think it left his quarterback completely rattled. I think it divided the team in a lot of ways and it was hard uh, to recover from that. And it was also hard schematically to recover from not having an X receiver, not having a deep threat. I also think that Kareem Hunt being gone for most of the season, for most of the season, uh, I, I think that changes up a lot of what you can do. He was, he was also a big part of the passing game and an outlet pass and somebody that Baker Mayfield could have counted on in those very many times where it wasn't working with a lot of other people. So the screens and all the other things that he could have done uh, with Kareem, I think would have really, really helped him a lot when times got tough. Uh, and, and there were other things. I mean, he didn't have, um, you know, they did not have Jarvis Landry. I mean, Jarvis wasn't not himself this year at all. So it's not like you, you could be like, oh, well, let's just, you know, let's just throw the ball to Jarvis Landry because he'll, he'll get the job done. He wasn't getting the job done this year either. He was injured. He was not himself. He seems to maybe have lost a step a little bit or a little bit of his explosiveness. And then, um, you know, Rashard went in the tank and completely disappeared to the point where they had him inactive for one of the biggest games of the season against the Ravens. So, um, I think Kevin Stefanski tried to hold this team together uh, when it was a mess. And the fact that he, that they even did win eight games. I mean, that's not horrible, all things considered, in my opinion. And I still think he has a lot of the qualities that made him NFL coach of the year last year. And so I still think he is a really, really good football coach. And I, I think right here, right out of the top 10 is the right spot for him right now. Woo! That was a lot of happy thoughts for Kevin Stefanski, but I mostly agree with him. I, I, like I, I, I don't think this is the wrong spot for him. I think there's one guy 
that I would definitely put ahead of him here still, but I could see the argument against it. And we're to 32 team league. Nine of the coaches just got hired. So that's only 23 guys. All right. It was only 23 guys who've ever done it. I was looking at some quick thing when you combine playoff and regular season wins, Kevin Stefanski is 14th among wins at their current job. So it's like, all right. And then like you start going through, there's some veteran guys who everybody thinks stink. There's some new coaches who are a year or two in like Stefanski who have not made the playoff. And so like, this is where we are. I think obviously I've said it a million times. I think there's Kevin Stefanski deserves more blame for the things that went wrong. But even with the blame that I would apply to him, I still had him. I have him 11th, which is where you just picked him, Mary Kay. So like, I don't really disagree. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so much of what we've talked about with him, like for everything that went wrong with the Browns this year, you know, there is the flip side of this discussion where, what if they got eight wins because of Kevin Stefanski? Like that things could have potentially been a lot worse given the injuries, given the Odell Beckham Jr. drama, given this lack of complimentary football between the offense and defense. Like things could have, I think, 100% been worse without somebody who who is kind of that level-headed in charge of things. And The other point that we kind of consistently bring up with him is I don't think any of us believe he just kind of became like he didn't go from 2020 to 2021 overnight. But then that's where the questions are raised like, okay, like, why are we seeing this 13 personnel so much? And what are the reasons for that? How much of it is Baker Mayfield related? How much of it is Kevin Stefanski just thinks he can outsmart everyone by doing that? Like, there are questions, but I do think like looking at 2020 to 2021, like it wasn't an overnight thing for me. And I think there are all these other factors and Doug is making a face. Okay. I'm trying not to be negative about this, but now we've had two people say too many nice things about Kevin Stefanski. First of all, they're a seven win team. The team that made the Super Bowl gave up in the last week of the year. So they're not an eight, nine team. They're a seven and 10 team. How do we not know that year one was the thing that wasn't real? The idea that I mean, might, it's a fair uh, question, but because they had some injury, doesn't mean that year was like, well, as Mary Kay has pointed out multiple times, they didn't beat a lot of great teams in year one. They didn't beat a lot of great quarterbacks. So the idea that year one was real and year two is fake, that I have to push back on because it very well- Well, I didn't say it for sure is, but it is, I think, a question. I mean, it's a question either way. I think people act like it is. I think that's the overriding assumption that it's like year one was real. This wasn't the real Kevin Stefanski. I don't know. I think both are real. When things went well, they made they made the playoffs. When things didn't go well, they didn't make the playoffs. And they underachieved. And, and the idea that, like, well, some coach might have gone 4-13. and 13. Dan had him in the Super Bowl! <laughs> I know the quarterback got hurt. We don't have to discuss the same thing 4,000 times. We know Baker Mayfield got hurt. The idea that, like, he somehow dragged this team to seven legitimate wins? Come on. Like, that I can't. That, that, that is not my view of the season. That Kevin Stefanski saved the Browns from five and 12 like this. I think this guy was more a part of the issue. And if one of the issues is a divide between the offense and the defense and they don't play complimentary football, guess who that's on the head coach. So now you made me, now I had to do what I was. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Hey, if we're going to talk in those terms, then speaking of was year one real, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers played their B team in the season finale and the Browns would not have made the playoffs. at the Right. Well, no, right. I, I, I think that's a good point. The, but the, my reason for putting Stefanski here is because everybody else stinks. 
Who else are you going to put here? <laughs> like, I don't think like, oh, Kevin Stefanski, he is the 11th best coach in the league. It's like, man, this league, they can barely find two handfuls of guys to lead teams convincingly. So we're out of that range. We're out of the, I believe in this guy range. And then Kevin Stefanski is kind of near the top of the, eh, I don't know range because this league is filled with, eh, I don't know guys, which is why 39 of the 32 teams are going to have new coaches next season. Yeah. I mean, there's, there is a scenario where Kevin Stefanski follows the Matt Nagy path, right? I don't think that's where it's going to go, but Matt Nagy was a coach of the year and now he's out of a job. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think Kevin, we've, we've talked about the plate. We've talked about the stuff on the field. I, I do think generally as the guy who had to be the face of the organization every single day from July through the middle of January, I thought he and handled that aspect of things well. And I do think that matters for this team specifically. This feels right to me. I, I think we've put him in the right spot. I can't argue with, ah, we got him too high or we got him too low. You know, we can nitpick about Zach Taylor, but Zach Taylor's in the Super Bowl, so whatever. I think this is about the right spot. And, Doug, I'm curious, just to kind of continue to frame this, you said there was a guy that you would take ahead of him. I mean, you're up. Who's that guy? The only guy that I had ahead of him that I I feel moderately strongly about, but it also sort of goes against by you have a good quarterback thing, is Matt LaFleur. Mm -hmm. He's won a lot in Green Bay. And talking about, like, navigating off-field stuff, Man, people thought Aaron Rodgers wasn't going to play for the Packers this year. And then they choke in the playoffs. So like those are, you know, choking in the playoffs, not a plus for Matt LaFleur. Winning with one of the best quarterbacks of all time, not a huge plus for Matt LaFleur. But he's won a lot. And it was a weird year in Green Bay. And they've got a great number one receiver and a great quarterback and then sometimes you start going through and say well what else exactly are they great at so in comparison to kevin stefanski i i'll take matt lafleur but also if you gave kevin stefanski aaron Rodgers, what would kevin stefanski be doing so like i understand that argument that's the kind of argument i would make so i definitely had the floor ahead i'll take him here but i understand that not everybody would necessarily agree with that I think the only way to solve this is to give Kevin Stefanski Aaron Rodgers. Wouldn't it be fair? Just Roger <laughs> Goodell should decree it. Just to, we're just trying to figure out, Roger, who's the better coach, Kevin Stefanski or Matt LaFleur? The only way to do it is to swap Aaron Rodgers and Baker Mayfield. <laughs> yeah, well, and, you know, Matt LaFleur, just like Kevin Stefanski, he's been the, uh, the victim or the beneficiary of screenshot Twitter where they show you, oh, this guy was wide open, but the quarterback threw it here. Um, you know, we, we saw that in the NFC championship game, I'm sorry, not the end the, the playoff game uh, a few weeks ago. I, I don't know. I, I couldn't figure out where to put Matt LaFleur either. And I think I would, I think I would put Kevin Stefanski ahead of him because I, just because of that quarterback situation, just because you've got Aaron Rodgers, and in the times when you haven't had Aaron Rodgers, which hasn't been much, the team hasn't always looked great. <laughs> you know, so I, I, I guess I penalize Matt LaFleur for having a quarterback and I put Kevin Stefanski ahead of him for maybe not having a quarterback. Again, I'm arguing against my own theory, but Matt LaFleur has been in the league for three years. They've won 13 games every year. <laughs> like that's pretty good. And, and we're four different people. So our list is not going to be consistent, but 
like we already drafted Zach Taylor because he had one good year with Joe Burrow. But Matt LaFleur winning 13 games three times with Aaron Rodgers puts him behind Kevin Stefanski. I don't know, right? Super Bowls matter. I get it. I get it. But that's three really good regular seasons. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe two with him, obviously like the, the Aaron Rodgers aspect, I think maybe dings him a little bit, but again, another guy with recency bias, like that special teams blunder uh, in the playoff game, they lost there. I think they only had brought 10 guys out onto the field to try to block the field goal. Like I, I think there's an element of that too, but I mean, the flip side, he's a part of that Sean McVay kind of coaching tree there. So he's an interesting guy, but I, I with you, Dan, I kind of struggled where to, where he should go on my list. I had him right here at number 12. So for, for all the reasons that we've all talked about, I, I, I feel like he belongs right here. Okay, before we take a break, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do this. And this is going to be challenging. Try to think back to this time a year ago. Okay, because we're trying to figure out where Kevin Stefanski ranks. You know, so we're putting him 11th, right, in this draft. And we all kind of agree this is about the right spot. So we've said over and over again, Kevin Stefanski went fourth. I don't think anyone else on that pod would have taken him that high. So try to think back to last year as best as you can. And I'm going to give you guys the top 10. Bill Belichick, John Harbaugh, Andy Reid, uh, then it was Stefanski, Mike Tomlin, Sean McVay, Pete Carroll, Sean Payton, Matt LaFleur, Sean McDermott. That was your top 10 last year. Maybe you wouldn't have taken Stefanski fourth, but would you guys have put Stefanski in that top 10 still this time a year ago? I would have because um, for him to take that team to, you know, to an 11 and five record into the playoffs and, I think that regardless of anything else, just the magnitude of being able to do that, take this Browns team that hadn't made the playoffs in forever. Uh, I would have put him in my top 10 for sure. I, I don't think I would have hesitated to have him in my top 10. And Doug, like Mike Vrabel went 12th last year. Kyle Shanahan went 13th John last Payton year. Went so. eighth. Like Sean Payton went behind Kevin Stefanski. I mean, he was drafted too high last year. I think I would have had him at right at the edge of the top 10. I think maybe I wouldn't have had him in because I just think there are enough guys with track records, right? That, that one year I don't think would have put me over the top, but he probably would have been right in the same range where we drafted him now. So, so it's not really like this precipitous fall that maybe the fact that he went fourth last year in this draft and falls to 11. It's not quite I mean, as precipitous as, as it appears. It's just one of those things like, you know, Mike Mayock made a bunch of goofy draft picks when he was the GM of the Raiders and got fired for it. But the guy that he picked fourth still is the fourth pick in the draft, even if Mike Mayock's the only person on the planet would have picked him there. So, like, yes, but we picked him fourth last year, so he was fourth. <laughs> All right, let's take a break and let's run through these last couple rounds of guys that we have no way to make a case for actually picking. <laughs> And we are back on the Orange Brown Talk podcast, finishing up our second annual coach draft. I guess that means I get to go first here to kick us off. We've got two rounds left. We'll move pretty quickly through these as best we can. So Matt LaFleur just came off the board. You know what? I'm going to take, I'm torn between two people here. I'm going to take Brian Flores. The other one, just, just so you guys know, we'll, we'll put it out there. The other one I was thinking about here was Brandon Staley. Um, 
I, I mean, look, I, Flores did a great job in Miami for what he had. We know all the stories that are out there. He's suing the NFL and three teams. Uh, there, there were the, the tanking allegations as part of that lawsuit. I thought he did a pretty good job. And Miami this year was dead in the water, and they made a run, and they almost made the playoffs. So I, I'm going to take Brian Flores here. I think if I had to hire a coach, and he, were on my, he would be on my short list of guys that I would want to hire to bring into my organization, set the culture, and try to win a bunch of football games. So I'll take him to kick us off here. That's a good pick. He should be a head coach still right now. Just, I was going to say, I mean, this year alone, the way, you know, before the Ravens, the, the injury situation got so catastrophic, the way they played them, I mean, they set a new kind of defensive game plan that you saw other people try to mimic against the Ravens. And obviously we thought the Ravens were going to have a much better year than they ended up having at that time. So that alone is, I think, impressive from this year. And yeah, that's I just the first time he's done that either. I mean, he did that against the Rams in the Super Bowl. And that, that was like, like Sean McVay kind of had to, like go back to the drawing board and figure out like, oh my God, what did Brian Flores just do to me? Can I just double check this, Dan, real quick? I know we're, we're allowed to draft coaches who are not currently employed. Is Hugh Jackson eligible to be drafted or no? <laughs> yes. He was the other guy I was thinking of. Yeah. He should probably go right after Flores because he's <laughs> like, right, it's just like attached to Brian Flores. <laughs> like the thing that happened to Brian Flores is like the same thing that, that happened to Hugh Jackson. <laughs> Except like it's, it's not. It's, it's, it's the exact same thing well, that happened to Hugh. So Ashley, you're the one that gets to make the Hugh Jackson oh, pick. Congratulations. You know, I'm going I'm to leave that pick for Doug. You know, we just have to wait two more two more picks for his. But, well, Dan, I'm actually I'm glad you didn't take Brandon Staley because I'll take him here. I think legally I am obligated to take someone with a John Carroll connection in this draft. <laughs> Um, but he is, you know, obviously when we talk about having a good quarterback, he obviously has that. So I understand not wanting to give him too much credit there in his first year, but you know, he is a Sean McVay guy again from that coaching tree. So I am kind of excited if we're ranking Sean McVay's kind of imprint or whatever. So high, I am kind of, I guess, curious to see what he looks like in the, in the years to come. What? I'm just curious, what exactly are we giving him credit for? Is it for not making the playoffs with one of the I, best young quarterbacks hey, in the I, league? Doug. What is the what is the good thing about Brandon Staley that we think he's good at? I don't know, but we've said, can we make cases for any of these guys at this no, point? I'm just saying, but like other than the fact that he just will not accept the tie when it's staring him in the face, like what? That was bad. I mean, that was on my list of things to ding him for, but... When you, when they beat the Browns to go to, was it four and one? They were four and one after they beat the Browns. How much money would you have bet that the Chargers were going to make the playoffs? Like a ton, I mean, we, right? Yeah. We, were thinking, we were thinking it might be a trip back to L.A. for the AFC championship game. Yeah, weren't there jokes about finding the bathroom for the Super Bowl or whatever? Do you think there are a decent number of coaches in this league who would have made the playoffs with that Chargers team? If somebody else was in charge, would Kevin Stefanski have made the playoffs with that Chargers team? With Frank Reich, would um, Pete Carroll, would Mike McCarthy, would Cliff Kingsbury? I, I, I think this is way too high for this guy. This guy's all hype. He, 
is interesting. No offense, Ash. Early no in, offense, Ash, to yourself. <laughs> early in the year, everybody kind of fell in love with him because he, he kind of became the analytic starling of the NFL. And everybody sort of fell in love with him. He had some great press conferences, some great comments on things that were going on. Whoa, this guy gets it. And I think somewhere, I think there is a good coach in there. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think it's perfectly fair to criticize how they finished the season and the fact that they didn't make the playoffs. And I, I do think there was, he kind of became overrated before he even had a chance to get rated in the first place, if that's fair. Um, but, you know, we'll see. This is going to be an interesting year, too, for him because you've got to get that team with Justin Herbert to the playoffs. There's too much talent on that mm-hmm. team to not make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. All right. So that brings us to, again, I had the wrong tab open here. I apologize. Mary Kay, you're up at 15. Oh, I'm just going to get hammered for this pick. Oh, I love it. <laughs> but I'm going to make it anyways. And I'll just let you guys, like, just crush me after I say this name. I'm going with, at number 15, drum roll, please, Cliff Kingsbury from the Arizona Cardinals. At least he made the playoffs, unlike Brandon Staley. Okay, Doug, Dan was going to take him a pick higher. I'm criticizing, so do too. Do not blame me. Do not be bullying me. I won't stand for it. Dan, I'm bullying you. <laughs> uh, the idea that you even considered Brandon Staley ahead of Brian Flores is a crazy this person. Is, this is why GMs don't tell people who they're considering. This, this is why they don't do it because they don't want to get ripped for picks they didn't even make. Uh, Kingsbury, is this right? There's a lot of guys on the board. Doug, you've mentioned the name Frank Reich a few times. Um, yeah, I'm looking through my list. There's some veteran guys we're passing up on. Mm-hmm. I mean, they I crashed know. and burned. They, cr- people, they were in position to be the one seed in the NFC for a while, and they fell apart at the end of the year with a very talented quarterback, who they did sort of – they almost navigated Tyler being hurt pretty well – and then when he came back, I think he wasn't himself, and that probably influenced it too. But are there a some number of coaches who would have done more with this Cardinals team? I think probably yes. So I think this is too high for Cliff. What about how he handled the, the Kyler injury, though? I mean, they're sort of what we wanted the Browns to do to an extent, right? Like, no. hey, maybe just sit your guy down for a little bit. I do wonder how much of this is like – can Kyler play 17 games? Can he hold up over 17 games? I think we've seen a couple years in a row that that has been an issue. Kyler Murray, who, by the way, has apparently deleted all Cardinals mentions from social media. <laughs> Which means I should not have Cliff Kingsbury here because Kyler's not going to be with them next year and he's not going to be a good coach when he doesn't have Kyler Murray. But I don't know. I mean, I just I couldn't really think of um, – I mean, I guess I could have put Keith, Pete Carroll here because I – I still think Pete Carroll's an excellent coach. Um, I don't know. I, I, any of the new guys, I really didn't feel compelled to put any of the new guys in yet because I just don't know yet. I thought about Frank Reich here uh, because I thought he actually did a pretty nice job with what he had to work with. Um, but I, I still think there's something to be said for 11 victories and making the playoffs. It's just hard. It's hard to not be results oriented with this kind of thing. Cause it's like, Oh, we, we, your team was pretty good. You must be a pretty good coach and your team didn't make the playoffs. You're probably not as good of a coach, but they've got some pieces there. And that, that he, all these graphics, everyone saw the numbers at the end of the year, Cliff Kingsbury, Cliff Kingsbury's whole coaching life, his team start out great and then fall off a cliff. And that is something. 
that is you. It happened to Texas Tech. It happens with the Cardinals. All the cliches about you've got to play your best ball in December or whatever. I mean, they they crumble. They absolutely crumble. They lost four of their last five. So that's coaching. Like and and they're gonna figure that out, I think, sooner than later. And and I wouldn't bet, I think it's possible like this guy's not the Cardinals coach by the time next season ends, because there's some there's too much good in that franchise. And it feels like this guy, I think, is not up. I don't think he's up to it. I don't th- I think he's an offensive coordinator. I don't really think he's like a culture structure foot fingerprint on the franchise kind of head coach and i think the cardinals are going to figure that out i I, again i do think the kyler thing is a big part of this too because like if kyler's not kyler he's just a five nine guy who can't see like that i mean we talk about it with baker right i mean i I love kyler murray if kyler murray wanted out of arizona i would pound the table for the browns to get in on that sweepstakes but I, i do think there are concerns about his durability uh long term as well doug you're up at number 16 yeah i don't want to take anybody i don't like anybody i don't want anyone to yell at me the way i'm yelling at everybody else for their picks i don't there's (laughs) nobody that that i like bully behavior can i just say the bully doesn't (laughs) want to be bullied i just would say i'm not a bully in real life i'm only a podcast i guess i'll take frank Reich because i've said his name like eight times in the last five minutes (laughs) And this also is an, an acknowledgement that Carson Wentz sucks. So anybody, even though they had arguably the greatest choke job in the history of the NFL to blow a playoff spot by losing to the hapless Jaguars on the last game of the regular season, I will, whatever we think Joe Burrow has done or Aaron Rodgers has done or Kyler Murray has done to elevate some of their coaches, Man, Carson Wentz is an anchor around the neck of any NFL head coach. And Frank Reich was like trying to swim up to the surface. He's like, ah, there's the air is right there. And then at the end, Carson dragged him down and he drowned. Yeah, I was going to be curious to see if he would make it to the next round or if you were going to scoop him up, Doug, because like the epitome of winning in spite of a quarterback this year and how many times were we like, can the Browns just be the Colts? Can they just keep handing it off to Nick Chubb? Like they figured out a plan that worked offensively. So I think this is a good pick. It pains me to say. I don't feel great about it, but there's nobody else I like. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I'm at as we get into our last round here. So the the other point I wanted to make with Kingsbury is like, it kind of comes down to in this range, do you want to take him or do you want to take one of the veteran kind of older guys? And I just don't love, like I, I took Bruce Arians really high last year. I think Bruce Arians is a good coach. I don't know if I really want to take him. Pete Carroll, I think is a good coach. I don't know if I want to take him. I'm struggling with this one. A part of me just wants to take Dan Campbell for fun. <laughs> I'm going to take Doug Peterson. If I'm going to take a veteran guy, I think I'm going to take Doug Peterson here. I, th- I think that's a really interesting hire. What he did with that Eagles team, once again, tortured fan base, a team that couldn't quite get over the hump when Andy Reid was there, hadn't won a Super Bowl. And like for Doug Peterson to do what he did with that team and to do it with Nick Foles taking over as the starting quarterback so late in the year, I think he's a good coach. 
I don't know if he's like as great as people were saying he was in that moment, but I think he's a really good coach. I think Jacksonville has a chance if they kind of, if Trent Belke can stay out of the way, I think they have a chance with Doug Peterson as, as their coach to at least get pointed in the right direction and get Trevor Lawrence pointed in the right direction. So if I got to take a veteran guy here, I'm going to go with Doug Peterson. And also torpedoed in his last job by having to coach Carson Wentz. <laughs> I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming. <laughs> it's all just a big setup for Doug. Ashley, you're up at 18. This is tough. Um, I'm with you, Dan. Like, I don't know if I feel like taking one of those veteran guys. I don't know. I think I'm going to, I'm going to take the jump. I'm looking at Doug ready to pounce. I'm going to take, we haven't seen him be the head coach yet, but Brian Dable, just because from everything, I mean, he did come up earlier in our bills discussion and just the way he was able to mold Josh Allen there. I'm curious to see what he does with the giants now. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, like, like you said, Dan, I just don't feel like taking one of these veteran guys right now. Um, so I'm going to go with a breath of fresh air, I guess. Mary Kay, were you eyeing Dable here at number 19? He is in a group of about five coaches that I could pick here. And yeah, he, he was right in there. We are at that point. Maybe we went around too long. Oh, we definitely went around too long. <laughs> as we're all kind of going, eh whatever let's you know throw this dart up at the uh coaching board and see what we come up with um but i have another guy in this category and uh, i'm i'm willing to give him another chance at being a head coach and see what he's got this time and that is one josh mcdaniels from canton ohio sometimes coaches get it right the second time around if, he's, if he has Derek Carr, I think he's got a chance to win some games. Um, I, I think he's he's got a really, really great offensive mind. And I think he did some nice things offensively this year when he didn't have Tom Brady. So, yeah, let's give Josh McDaniels, kind of our hometown guy, a shot here at number 19. And to bring it back to the Browns in that game, like we, we kept going back to that JJ3 quote from the season that it was like they watched all the film of everything the Browns defense couldn't defend, and they did it all. It was like a mashup for the entire afternoon. But again, I think it's a good pick. I would not, I, I was contemplating it, but I thought two John Carroll guys on my list might have been too much. <laughs> yeah, an, an, an interesting guy. I want to see what he does in a second chance. Uh, won't end up taking Tim Tebow in the first round of the draft this time around. So if they stick with Derek Carr and get that worked out, that's at least a really good start for him. They've got some guys on, on that offensive side of the ball that, that can do some things for them. You know, Darren Waller, we've seen, we've seen how Josh McDaniels can use tight ends. Uh, but that's, uh, you know, that'll, that'll be interesting to see. Okay, let's wrap this up with Doug at number 20. Oh, did people forget that Pete Carroll's still on the board? No, did you hear us say we just didn't want to take a veteran guy? Dan and I explicitly he's, said that. I he's just made the playoffs, but that Chris doesn't Kiffin make any sense. Coming back to the Browns, by the way, you guys. He made what's that? Chris Kiffin is coming back to oh. Cleveland Browns. All right, is he on our list? <laughs> <laughs> Pete Carroll's made the playoffs nine of twelve years in Seattle. 
He'd won double digit games three straight years. They went seven and 10 this year, like the best division in football. Is this like because the Russell Wilson thing got a little screwy? I should have taken him ahead of Frank Reich. I'm as much to blame as anybody. Like, this is nuts. This is malfeasance that he's lasted this long. Unless you think like he's old and washed up, but then why did we take like Andy Reid second? I, I don't know. Like, so sometimes we like old coaches and sometimes we don't. This you is crazy that Pete Carroll's here. I'm done arguing with you about Andy Reid. I can't do it anymore. Why didn't we take Pete Carroll before this? Because he missed the playoff once? I thought about taking him. I, it's it's almost like uh, the old argument of when you have a Hall of Fame quarterback, you know, how much of it is that? Well, we took Zach Taylor seventh. I, I don't, I, I, this is, is it because he's old? He's 70. Do we just not want a 70 year old coach? Are we going to be, are we going to be sued for ageism for not drafting Pete Carroll higher than this? Maybe. If you gave, I, I just, he's top 15. What was he last year, Dan? Pete Carroll was, oh, let me find Seventh? Top 10. He was seventh last year. He was year. seventh, yeah. He missed the playoff once and we're like, eh, let's not draft him. So shame on us, including me. He's better than Yeah, Frank I, I think there's some guys on our board that we, uh, we're going to regret. Look. No, him. There's nobody else like him. He's one of the best NFL No, you're right. He, I mean, he's, he's, years. he's won a Super this Bowl. A whiff. He's won a Super Bowl. <laughs> He's a little bit like Mike Tomlin, honestly. I think Seahawks fans are some Seahawks fans are a little bit tired of him, but like, are you going to do any better than Pete Carroll? Um, some other names, real quick, that got left out: uh, Bruce Arians, Ron Rivera. Um, let's see, some of the new guys. Nobody, we didn't really go with many new guys outside of uh, Josh McDaniels and Brian Dable. So a lot of the young new guys did not get picked. Nobody wanted Nathaniel Hackett, I guess, uh, to be their coach. But overall. I think we did pretty well on this. Uh, Kevin Stefanski ends up number 11, kind of right before that group of guys where we were struggling to really come up with who we were going to pick. So, Dad, why did you take, did we do this before or after the Super Bowl last year? We did it in April last year. Way after the Super Bowl. Early okay. April. Okay. Because Bruce Arians went from 11th to off the board because Tom Brady retired? Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess for whatever reason, I skewed kind of, Let's see. I took Belichick and then I went Shanahan, McDermott. I don't know. I don't know why I didn't want to take Bruce Arians this year. I just, there were other guys I liked better. I think this is a thing that is true of the NFL. The quarterback is so important. It is hard to separate coach and quarterback. And it's hard to figure out how good you are when you have a good quarterback and how bad you are when you don't have a good quarterback. And it is very difficult to do. And I don't know that there's a right way to analyze it. And I think all of us came at it different ways. And I think even myself, I was inconsistent in when I applied it and when I didn't. Oh, well, that guy's just good because of his quarterback. But this guy has a good quarterback, but he's still good. Like, how do you know? But I think there's probably like five to seven coaches that are dudes. And then Almost everybody else is about how good your quarterback is. And so I don't think Kevin Stefanski would qualify as a dude right now. So then he's just big in this big mix between eight and 24 where you're quarterback dependent. And then there's a couple guys who don't know what the heck they're doing, like Urban Meyer. So there's guys who are just terrible. But Kevin Stefanski is, I think, in that middle group. Yeah, I think, I think we got it right this time. All right, okay. 
We'll see if I say that again this time yeah. next year when we Flip do our third audio. annual. We do our third annual coach draft. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. As always, make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast, and make sure you're a Football Insider subscriber, Cleveland.com/slash/Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get the info and get signed up. Ugh, Ashley, Mary Kay, I'll talk to you all later. <laughs>